It's great for us to worship together and open God's Word together this morning as we continue our sermon series, Blank Check, A Generous Life. Today, you might have picked that up already as you saw the scripture, we are talking about finance and money. And you're thinking, wait a second, Jen, wait a second. We just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Why are we doing it again? Well, if I may double down on it, we will do that again a couple of weeks later too. <laughs> Why are we emphasizing the financial generosity quite a bit as well? Scripture has a whole lot to say about it. I mean, Julianne just read from Luke 12 for us. And when you just look at it in the book of Luke alone, there are about 39 parables. Out of 39, 11 of them has to do with finance. That's almost 30% that Jesus opens his mouth explaining things. He's talking about finance. And we have so much to talk about when it comes down to material possession and the finance that the scripture has to speak about. If you combine all the teaching in the scripture, whether it be finance, whether it be the material, gold, silver, all they combined, it's over a thousand times. And you've heard it a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Bill walked us through about why we should and how we can be generous. And when our possession is used for the glory of God, it can be greatly used for the advancement of his kingdom. And today, we want to talk about actually what hinders that. Uh, when we find meaning of life through finance, we want to talk about its trap, its distortion that hinders us from being generous. Easier way to say the greediness that Jesus confronts in this passage. When you hold the meaning of life based on your material possession and finance, it can rob the soul out of you. And it's so easy to do that in a culture that we live in. So today we want to talk about how when you find the meaning of life through greediness, through the love of money, how it can actually even reveal what's really inside of your heart, how it can reverse the proper order of life that God has designed, and how it can even rule your life. There are so many of us pursue the meaning of life through the wealth accumulation and how it's deadly. And lastly, we will talk about how we can relinquish its power over us. The money is not just economic term, right? It can sometimes be a revealing factor of your heart. And it can take so much out of you, your soul, your love, and your affection from heaven to just all about you, that self-consumption. And Jesus has a whole lot to say about that. So today, we will dive in. So first, let's dive in there together. First, how it can love of money, the greediness, can reveal our heart. Look, verse 13. It will be a great idea if you just leave the word open today. I'll walk through in its entirety the passage that we're ready for us today. So verse 13, it begins by saying, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, this story begins by this man approaching to Jesus. Rabbi. Teacher, tell my brother to divide inheritance, money, material possession with me. 
Now, it is almost certain, we don't know the exact context, it doesn't give exact background, but according to this time and culture, it is almost certain that this man most likely is a younger brother who approaches Jesus. Why is that? At the time of culture, even Deuteronomy 21, 17 tells us there's this custom called primogeniture, which means that the elder of the family, the oldest son of the family, always gets twice more inheritance than any other sons. Only the sons inherited often fathers all the blessing and riches, and usually elder of the family, since he's the one who's supposed to carry the family legacy, has most responsibilities, often gets twice more than any others. But here, most likely, the younger brother is saying it, but my brother is not even giving me a single share. He's hoarding it all for him. Teacher, do something about it. And, rightly so, why would he come to Jesus, by the way? Why wouldn't he take this to court? I mean, if it's really this brother's hoarding all the money that's belonged to him, they should go to court, not necessarily to Jesus, this rabbi. But this custom and tradition is based on the biblical law, and so rightly so, rather than secular judge per se, they are approaching Jesus, teacher, rabbi, to settle this family matter. Jesus, help me here. Tell my brother to give me my share. Now, it shows the greediness of not only the elder brother, younger brother, all people involved, but it shows so much how family can tear apart by money here, right? Here's two, fa- two brothers who knew how close, how bad they were, but failure is torn apart just by money. It revealed what was inside of my heart, their heart. And I would love to say, oh, I've never seen that happening in my life. I unfortunately have seen that in my extended family as well, through inheritance, how family can be divided. Money can be such a revealing factor in your heart, what is in you. And scripture has a whole, a whole lot to say about that. Let me kind of give you the language why the scripture, scripture's placement, biblical view of money kind of is distinguished from the, our worldview, how it doesn't quite square with. When you think about it, money is very potent. What I mean by it, it's powerful, it's a full of force. When it gets, is used for the good, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, it can really be used for the glory of God in a mighty way. But also when it's used in a negative way, when Jesus here confronts the greediness in a second in verse 15, it can be such a revealer, it can even rob the meaning of life out of you. And generally speaking, if you want to square the biblical perspective of money with the world, Bible actually has a whole lot more positive things to say about money than the socialistic society would like to admit. Sometimes people think Bible, oh, Bible is all about socialism. Look at Acts chapter 2. They gathered all and shared all together. Not necessarily. That was not necessarily driven by the legality, but it was driven by generosity. It wasn't like the church, the central government, they collected everything and just forced it and distributed it all. So actually, the Bible itself has a much more positive view of wealth than socialistic society would like to admit. Having said that, on the other side, Bible has a whole lot to say about the corrupting power of money than the capitalistic society would like to admit. We live in, in a sense, as we live in America, at the center of capitalism. I mean, I hear a lot about names like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. I hear that Elon Musk is busy, whether he's going to buy Twitter or not, how it's going to pan out. 
I hear about it all the time in the news. But I don't hear about average American who makes median salary. I only know them as average Joe. There it is. Why? Because we put so much focus and power and attention to those wealthy. We know them by name, billionaires, one of the richest people. But actually, when you really look at through the Bible, while it had so much, I'm not saying, by the way, that both are equally good or equally bad. Neither Bible nor I say that. But Bible had so much more positive things to say about money when it's used for good than socialistic society would like to admit. And he talks about so much more corrupting force of money than the capitalistic society would like to admit. Why? Because biblical perspective of money does not really talk about economic terms, but it talks a lot about in spiritual terms. Like here, you sigh, this greediness, whether it be greediness, whatever is going on, this elder brother who stole all the money, revealed everything. He thinks money is worth it to split the family apart. I must hoard it. A double portion may not be good enough. An elder brother here, an old younger brother is upset. What about my portion? Jesus, help me out here. Uh, so it shows how it affects our heart, biblical view of money, how it can steal and rob the meaning of life. While it should be functionally found in God, it can even steal the meaning of that. It reveals the force in your heart. Now, so having said that, now let's look at how even it can reverse our priority and rule our lives here. Because why do we need to talk about it? While the Bible says love covers multitude of sin, love of money uncovers multitude of sin, doesn't it? This is money just reveals everything that was in them. Families torn apart. So Jesus replies in verse 14 when this brother comes to plea. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Here, let me just say a few things. Number one, here it's translated as an arbiter. It's a right translation. Uh, it's, a, it's a Greek word meaning meristen. really means divider. So what, verse 13, the, this brother comes to approach to Jesus said, tell my brother to divide father's inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not the divider. I'm not the judge over that. First of all, this is a quite surprise. Why is it a surprise, first of all? Because this is not only a matter of family dispute, but this is also a matter of fairness. This elder brother should give them. And not only it's a matter of fairness, also it's a justice issue. It's not right for this person to hoard all the money. But rather than Jesus just saying, oh, okay, I'll be the divider, he said, I'm not having it. Like, what? What's going on? Jesus cares about fairness, justice, you know. And on top of that, while Jesus in verse 14 says, I'm not the divider, look at verse 51 through 53. What does Jesus say? Just in the same chapter. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division from now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Wait a second, Jesus. In verse 14, you said you are not a divider. Verse 51, you said you came here to bring division. You are the divider. What is going on here? Is Jesus contradicting himself? I think not. This is what's going on. When brother comes to Jesus, Jesus, tell my older brother to divide father's money with me. Jesus is saying, hey, you're just coming to me to divide money, your material possession. But I didn't come here to divide your money. I came here to divide life and death. 
That's not my mission on this earth to divide your material possession to enrich you or reward you financially. My priority, my mission, what God has sent to me is to divide eternal life and eternal death. That's why I am. I came to divide for that. If you just approach me as a teacher, rabbi, but do not approach me as a savior and the Lord, you've got something seriously wrong. So Jesus here is not giving any slack to this guy, right? He said, I'm not here to divide. Don't you dare? Yet oftentimes, Shelton, let's have a little heart examination time, right? Isn't that how we approach Jesus too? Jesus, I know you are my Lord, but divide my finance. Multiply my finance. You are my genie. I need you to multiply my accumulation. And Jesus saying, I didn't come to earth to divide and multiply your financial possession. I came here to divide your eternal life and eternal condemnation. Which side are you? Am I just your rabbi, teacher, or am I your savior? It's something that we all must think about because Jesus is saying, don't let the money be the Lord of your life. Verse 15, what does he say? Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. Jesus is saying, don't let the money be the Lord of your life. I am the Lord of your life. All the others are secondaries. Do we sometimes approach Jesus like a teacher, like a helper, like aid, as, our, as if he's our assistant? God, help me with my finance. All the others are secondary. Jesus saying, no, 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 you've got the wrong order. I didn't come here for that. I'm here. Come to me for who I am. I'm the Lord of the universe. I came here to save your soul. But you are saying right now, this is what I matter the most. And Jesus is in us now. He's about to give a parable. When I say parable, it's not a true story. But Jesus makes up a story to make his point. Because first, he saw the revealer of their hearts caught up by money and possession. They completely reversed the priorities in their lives. While Jesus should be approached as a Lord and Savior, he just come as a teacher. And here Jesus says in verse 15, watch out for greed. Why would Jesus say watch out? That means be alert and look out for it. There are many sins in the world. That, that, let's, let's just take a look at Ten Commandments. It's kind of obvious that you know it. Like Bible said, do not murder. <laughs> well, God forbid, but if you murder, don't, don't. But like, you know you're doing it. You don't say, oh, I didn't know you're a human. I thought you were an alien I was killing. Unless you're watching movie Man in Black, that's not the case. You kind of know what you're doing. I have not seen a single stealer who pickpocket other people's wallet says, oh, I didn't know it was your wallet. I thought it was my wallet. It happened to be in your pickpocket. <laughs> you don't do that. It's silly. You know what you're doing. The Bible says don't commit adultery. You know it. But greediness, how much is you know for you? You don't know it. It's so easy to confuse want and need. It's so easy to do that. A 19th century American writer, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, or more commonly known as his penman name, Mark Twain, defined a civilization as a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. A limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities, meaning it's not necessary, but you say, I must have it at all costs. 
How much is enough that you constantly saying, you don't know it because we live in a society that says you must make more, enjoy more, store more, save it. Why is storage business booming in America? Almost $40 billion business. We just need a tad bit more. Think about it, Sheldon. I will elaborate just a little more, but I really want you to begin to think about it. Am I really caught in the greediness? Because that's really hard to measure. While some things are very easy to measure, watch out, be alert. You must look out for it. Otherwise, you'll get sucked right into the current. Why is that? Because we tend to compare ourselves to one economic class upper. If you think you're poor, you're more like lower middle class. If you think you're middle class, you're a little bit upper middle class. If you say you're comfortable, oh, you're filthy rich. <laughs> just admit it. We tend to compare. I just need a little more. So we tend to compare ourselves for that. That we don't know whether we're being greedy. We just say, I just need a little more. And Jesus here is about to make a point. Listen to the parable about this rich man in verse 16 through 18. Verse 16. He came to them. He told them this parable. The ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. There you go. Something doesn't change 2,000 years ago and today. The rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Rich man only gets richer. Money makes money, I guess. Verse 17 through 19. What does he do with that abundant harvest? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn and build bigger ones. And then I'll store my surplus grain. Then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, look at the possessive language he's using. Verse 17, my crops. Verse 18, my barns. Verse 18, my surplus gain. Verse 19, myself. Eat, drink, and marry. My pleasure. It's all about me, 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 me. He thinks I have earned it. This is mine to possess. This is mine to enjoy. He assumed all is his to consume. The thought of generosity does not even come a single bit in his mind. But he should. He should know better. Why is that? The book of James talks a little bit about illustration of a farmer. At that time, abundant harvest really does not depend on you. What I mean by that, this technology is a little bit limited. When, as the James tells us, as the farmer waits for the autumn rain and spring rain, we shall be patient. He talks about that. What James means by this, he applies very well. I don't know whether any of you lived in Israel. I lived it during summertime there for two and a half, three months. Summer is extremely hot. So people get up at five to work, and by noon they are done because it's way too hot outside to work outside. So I was like that. We got up at five, work till noon, and we are done because way too hot. So for farmer to plant any seed to break the ground, autumn rain must come before that. Otherwise, ground is too a drought. It's, when you break the ground, it's all dust is all you see. The autumn rain, which you have no control whatsoever, must come in order to break the ground and plant the seed. If the autumn rain does not come in season, your harvest is ruined for that year because you didn't get to plant in season. Not only that, let's say autumn rain came in season. You plant it, you garden it. Spring rain must come in season in order the crops to ripe. If spring rain doesn't come, your harvest will be very diminished dramatically. 
So for this person to have an abundant harvest means God sent autumn rain, God sent spring rain, but he does not give any credit to God. It's all mine. I earned it. It's me, mine to consume whatsoever. He does not think a bit about, thought about, oh, there's so much rich that God has granted me. Maybe I should give some. But he's like, well, I have enough, but let me, might as well, let me tear down my barns. Let me build a bigger one. We laugh at it. We think that's terrible. But that's exactly how we live in our society. Accumulate all we want and kick back and relax down the road. Oh, think with me, Chilton. Um, let's say, just think with a decade ago, two decades ago, for some of you, three decades ago. Remember when you made your first money and you said, oh, man, if only I have this much, man, I'll never worry about money. I'll always be content. And somehow you always wanted more in the end. I remember when I came to America first time, I was only 17. I got to Colorado in public high school. I worked at a school store. School. So in the morning, we sell breakfast burrito, and my favorite thing was ding-dong in the school cafeteria. <laughs> I would eat that. So I worked as a cashier for like a few hours a day. And at the end of the week, and you accumulate hours. And at the end of the month, I got my first paycheck in America. It was $250. I'm like, oh, $250? Give me a hug. I'm rich. I'm loaded. I can buy a pair of jeans now. I'll never want any more. Well, that died out soon. Then I said to myself, man, if only I make a thousand bucks, I'll be fine. I'll be completely set for the rest of my life. I'll be awesome. <laughs> I made a thousand bucks eventually doing other things as I was growing up. Then I'm like, well, no, this barn isn't big enough. I just need a little bit bigger barn this time. Let me tear down the standardized side just a little, little more. I made a little more down the road. I'm like, that's great, but actually I need a little more. This rich man, what does he decide to do here in this parable? When he says, I'll tear down my barn and build a bigger one, he has done exactly what he has always done. When there's surplus, I just need a little more. I just need a little more. I just need a little more. As a result, one commentator says he thinks he's the owner of money, but actually money owns him. He's always discontent. He's always worried, I just need a little more so that I can accumulate and my barn, my money, my surplus grain, myself, and then I'll kick back and relax. Charlton, how much is enough for you? Isn't it what we say that we just need a little more? You thought somehow you'll be great. You made that and you're like, I just need a little more. That's endless rat race that you and I are constantly forced to live. Why does Jesus say, watch out? That means you must intentionally look out for it because you don't know it. That's the culture we live in. Money speaks in this culture. We live in very wealthy suburban area. Before you know it, you and I are stuck in that red race. I just need to tear down my standard that I set. Let me just build a bigger barn this time. Let me store that just a little more. And Jesus says actually quite harsh word against him. Look, verse 20, what does Jesus say? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus is calling him a fool. Now, here's a little shameless advertisement session here. Boop. After we finish generosity series at the end of May, in summer, we will dive into wisdom series in the book of Proverbs. 
the wisdom in life, a study in the book of Proverbs. In the Proverbs theories throughout the summer, we will define what it means by fool because Proverbs has a whole lot to say about it. But in Bible, Jesus here means the same. Fool is not like, has nothing to do with the mental capacity, how smart you are. But fool, when the Bible speaks about fool, it has everything to do with someone who defies God's order of life, who defies the reality that God has set to emotion, who reverts the proper order of love, who just ignores God's reality. God is saying, what does it say? This is how it will be with whatever stores of things for themselves. It's not rich toward God. He's saying, you are a fool to think you can just accumulate all you want. You are a fool to assume that all your riches are yours to consume. You cannot even take the single dime out of this earth. You don't even know whether you will live tomorrow or not. But why are you so obsessed and so worried? There's always one little more and more and more never-ending cycle. You are a fool to think that way. I am reminded of this famous saying by missionary Jim Elliot. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? This is a fool. He's only keeping what he loses. Jesus saying, you think you can keep, but once you die, you got nothing left in your heart. But why don't you store your riches in heaven that you can never lose? He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But this is a fool keeping everything. Having said all that, children, is Jesus saying all saving is bad? That's not what Jesus means that at all. When God created heaven and earth, he pronounced them good. Physical world God created, therefore, to save nothing is foolish. You need money to get by. But if all you save your money and possession for this world, for temporal world as it is, that's also a fool because God did not worse create this world just to be temporal. But he says it, but for eternality that is to come. Store your riches to heaven. That's what Jesus is telling today. What is the greatest antidote of your greediness? Generosity. Generosity triumphs over greediness. Now, Shelton, so let's look at it. We talked about how money has also spiritual power, right? It can rob the meaning out of you. Sometimes we get stuck in the rat race. I thought a 250 would be enough for my life. I thought 1,000 would be enough for my life. But I keep realizing, eh, no, I just need a little more, a little more, a little more. When will I get to a place where I say, that, that's enough? You must think about watch out for the greed so third, last, let's talk about how we can relinquish its power over us. So while greediness assumes that it is all yours to consume for your pleasure, and discontentment, worry comes just as a bonus on top of that. Generosity is an attitude. We write a blank check before the Lord. God, I'm not the owner of money. I'm only the manager. You are the one who brought autumn rain. You are the one who brought spring rain. You are the one who gave me physical body to be able to work. You are the one who gave me breath to be able to breathe and function. You are the one who gave me capacity to think. Therefore, all my money is you given. I give it to you. So generosity liberates us from the bottomless pit of discontentment and worries. You give it because you know in the end it is not yours to begin with. Now, I can say all this, right? But do I know this truth myself to the bottom of my heart? 
think I'm still struggling, if I'm honest with you. I would love to say, yeah, I got this. And here I'm about to share my anecdotal. I would love to say the story that I'm about to share is that, oh, yeah, this happened two decades ago. Since then, I got it. No, this has not been that many years ago. I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. Um, context. I grew up relatively not so wealthy, or I, can, I can say, without much resource. My dad has been small-town country church, country town church pastor all my life, 30-plus years. He's still faithfully pastoring this elderly man and woman in this small town for years. My mom, our church also has a small, like, very kindergarten ministry daycare. So my mom works in that. Um, so growing up, we did not have actually much resource as a family. Um, yet, I was always so amazed how much they gave. I'm like, well, I don't know how we're going to get by. I remember begging, Mom, can you give me 50 cents? I just want this snack so bad. And we had to think about that. Um, we didn't have much resource. And just disclosure, if I wanted more money, I guess this is not the best vocation for that, what I'm doing for a living. <laughs> so finance is just something that I think a lot about, for better or for worse. So one time, just like not that many years ago, before here, I was already pastoring because I lived in America since senior in high school. My parents came to visit me once. Uh, they came a couple of times, and then when they come out, we talk all night. So mom and dad are on my bed sleeping. I'm just lying down on the floor talking their ear off till 2 a.m. The topic, you know, I've seen the first time in many t- months. So I wanted to spare my soul. I was, somehow a conversation got to finance. And at that time, I really wasn't making ends meet. I'm not saying you should give even if you're not making ends meet. That's not what I'm saying. I'm sharing my anecdotals here. I was barely getting by. Um, so I told mom and dad we were talking because their lives, sometimes I've seen my mom and dad give beyond their bare paycheck entirely. They just gave so much that I'm like, I was always worried. But I told mom, oh yeah, because of this situation, I'm not actually giving much to church. And she just looked at me like, Jen, I did not raise you like that. <laughs> As in like, she looked at me like, and I, I, what she said actually really fundamentally changed my life. She looked at me, Jen, if I die tonight, my last will for you is that your life will be marked by giving. Whether it be money, whether it be time, give it. I didn't teach you like that. Oh, I was so ashamed. I was so convicted. I was so guilty. But mom, mom, I don't have much. But she's like, Jen, we never had enough. But don't you see God always provided for us? God was always good to us, faithful to provide all your needs. But why are you so consumed and constantly worried about that? Will you be liberated from that? Will you give? Oh, after that, my entire habit of giving completely fundamentally changed. I was so convicted, ashamed, and yet it's your mom's exhortation. You love it. You're like, Mom, I love you for telling me this glorious truth. I want to be like that. I would love to say my life after that, I give my entire paycheck. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that liberated me quite a bit, actually. Because I always thought, my barns are not big enough. I just need a little bit bigger barn each time. I just need a little more, a little more. Rage, standard of living, and all that, all that, all that. How much is enough for us? So, and I want you to think about want me to think about it. Because in the end, our riches are not ours. The world says, my barns, my crops, my money, my pleasure, my grain. But Jesus is saying, you think it's all yours, but I bought you at a price at the cross. 
I gave you everything. I didn't just buy you with money. I bought you with my life. I gave my life for you. You have everything you need. Will you give yourself away for the glory of me? Then how liberating would it be while the world says, store up, build a little bit bigger barns. Jesus says, watch out. Life does not consist in abundance of possession. World says, save up for yourself. Jesus says, give yourself. May our lives be marked by giving. Jesus did not save us by becoming rich. He saved us by becoming completely stripped and naked out of nothing and gave it all for us. Jesus is not twisting our arm. Jesus is not just guilt-tripping us. But don't you find that so beautiful how it's completely given everything? If Jesus is really the meaning of your life, then let us reverse our priority. Trust all our lives, whether it be everything of your worries, contentment, time, money. Trust that he will provide. He's been faithful to us. Our fleshly heart desperately want to hold on, preserve ourselves. And Jesus is your te- teaching us, you give yourself for the glory of me. Will you do that, Chilton? May the Lord help us each step of the way. My heart desperately wants to hold on. But may all of us be so mesmerized by Jesus' grace that we begin to write a blank check before him. This is my open life. Take my life. Use it for your will. Let's pray together. Oh God, I do really believe that the antidote of my greediness is generosity. God, it is hard to swim against the current. Everywhere I look around, I feel like I see that I just need a little more, a little newer phone, a little nicer things, a little more money. I just need a little bit more of surplus to store my grains that I harvested. But often, oh Lord, I forget that you are the one who provides rain. Uh, my rich possessions are not mine to hoard. Oh God, if you have convicted us more than you have convicted us, will you shower us with Jesus' grace? Guilt conscience can only go so far. But oh Lord, oh Lord, plunge our guilt conscience with the funnel of grace that Jesus shown at the cross so they will be mesmerized by your abundant giving that we will be truly generous, that our lives will not be marked by love of money, but love of you, so that truly love will cover a multitude of sins. Truly love will liberate us to be able to free with our money. God, this has got so much to talk about, so much to uncover, but will you begin to break the ground in our hearts and allow us to examine the way we view money, the way we spend, the way we hoard, I pray that you change our perspective one day at a time, little by little, day by day. And God, we say, God, help us. We are not able to do that on our own might. So we look to you day by day. In your precious name we pray, amen.